Well, hello, church. It's good to be with uh, all of you who are gathering with us wherever you are, whether you're here in the worship center, whether you're here in the chapel, or whether you're joining us uh, online. If we've not met, my name is Merle, and my joy to be with you on behalf of uh, everybody at Pleasant Valley. I want to welcome you if you're here as a guest for the very first time. We hope that your time with us will be uh, not only inspiring, but will be encouraging to you as well. And uh, it's going to be a great rest of our time together. If you're joining us online for the first time, if you'll go to pleasantvalley.org slash connect and fill out our communication card, we'll be able to respond to you and answer any kind of questions that you might have about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what our church has to offer, how you can get plugged in. And if you're here in the worship center you can do the same thing by just going to the back of the worship center and talking to some of our hosts back there. If you're in the chapel, if you'll just talk to one of our staff pastors there. Now, before we jump in, just a couple of things. One is a highlight. One's going to be a more of a somber kind of prayer moment. So let me tell you about a highlight. On Friday night, uh, this room right here was packed with over 600 women from churches all across the Northland worshiping, praying, connecting, and seeking Jesus. And big shout out to Brittany Kingston, Becca Stammers, and the whole Pleasant Valley Women's Ministry team for pulling off such a great event. It was fantastic. There were, uh, there were five men here, and uh, I was standing over uh, by a door right over here as Karen was greeting. I was, I was scared to death, so I was standing by her because there was a lot of women power in the house. And there was a lady came up to me and she just looked at me and she goes, random dude. So from now on, I'm no longer Pastor Burl, I'm just random dude. So uh, can't tell you how excited we are uh, about what took place. We, we're gonna work on having a men's gathering as well. And so you just need to be prepared for that. The other thing is, um, it's not often that we tell you about some folks in the life of our church, their health issues, but we have a, um, we have a seventh grader by the name of Kendra Littlejohn, who uh, right now is in children's mercy with her, with her mom and her dad and brother, uh, facing just some incredibly challenging times medically, just... Uh, uh, and they need our prayer. And so I'm just going to invite you, whether you're in the chapel, whether you're here in the worship center, or if you are in uh, our online audience, if you'll just join me right now as we pray for Kendra, we pray for her healing, we pray for her parents, we pray for the doctors and the nurses at Children's Mercy. So let's pray together. God, our hearts, uh, our hearts ache when anybody we love is facing a major major illness that has all kinds of questions that need to be answered and unknown diagnosis and surgeries. And God, we pray for Kendra and we pray for Catherine and Jeff and Joe as uh, they are right now in uh, the land in between of knowing something and knowing an outcome of something. And my prayer, God, is that you would come to them in a way that is very personal, in a way that is very comforting, in a way that is very strengthening. I'm thankful that uh, Catherine has indicated she knows she has a prayer army here at 
this church, and she feels the support of that, and I just pray that they would be uh, overcome with that even right now, and we are praying for healing. We don't doubt your ability to heal anybody, and we fully submit ourselves to your power and your purposes, but we are asking for your very best for Kendra and for that family. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And if you're in agreement, would you say amen? Amen. amen. So glad that you're here. We are, uh, we are continuing a series called, How Now Shall We Live? And once upon a time in this country in particular, uh, Christianity was woven into the fabric of pretty much everything that this country knew itself to be and all that it was about. But over time, uh, even though not everybody was a follower, back in that time, the, the Christian faith was accepted as good. It was accepted as credible. It was viewed as a positive influence on the culture. But those days have pretty much gone by. We live in a skeptical age where Christianity has been presented by some individuals as being bad for people. As a matter of fact, Christian Hitchens says that Christianity is a poison to people, and people need to avoid religion. And he couldn't find anything good to say about Christianity, pretty much saying that Christianity is on the wrong side of history. Now, granted, there's been a lot of things that have taken place over the course of our history that would cause people to doubt the credibility and the positive influence of Christianity, but by and large, Christianity has had so much to offer to the world that is good and that is positive, but we're living in a skeptical age. So in this series, How Now Shall We Live?, today we want to answer the question, how can we tell a better story in a skeptical culture? And so what we're going to focus on is we're going to go to one place in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, this is going to be a two-part service because we're celebrating both communion and baptism. I couldn't put everything that I wanted to in the amount of time that I had, although I was told today that because everybody got an extra hour to sleep, I actually had an extra hour to preach. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. I couldn't do that because I can tell you what, the folks working in the nursery, they would charge the platform and I would be taken outside and disciplined severely. Disciplined severely. So this is going to be a two-part sermon, but we're not the first people as followers of Jesus, who have tried to figure out how can we live in a skeptical age, in a pluralistic society. Paul the Apostle dealt with this as well. And on a missionary journey, he found himself in the city of Athens. And we're going to spend the next two weekends in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through verse 34. And we're going to learn from the master apologist himself, Paul, how to tell a better story in a skeptical culture. So I only get to do one point today, and here is the point. If we're going to tell a better story in a skeptical culture, we need to understand what people believe. 
Now, here's the deal. If you were going on a mission trip, if you were being sent by Pleasant Valley to do a mission trip somewhere in the world, whether it's Sierra Leone, whether it's Ecuador, whether it's India, whether it's Thailand, wherever it might be, we would take you through a course that would help you to figure out what is it that people believe in that particular culture. What is that culture all about? Well, there's a sense in which Christians today are living in a missional culture. We're living in a culture that is different than it has ever been before. And so we need to be good missiologists and understand what is it that people believe in our particular culture. And again, we're going to take our cues from Paul. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16, and we're just going to go through verse 21 today. And if you don't have your Bible, you can watch on the screen. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, there were some other folks doing some ministry in another part, and he was waiting on them. He says, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So let me just give you some context. Now, the marketplace was, in the ancient cities, the cultural center. It wasn't just a place that you shopped. And so, if you have some kind of image in your mind, it's like Paul is hanging outside of Target and waiting for people to come out of Target with their latest Joanna Gaines purchase of house items. He was not, he was not doing that. He was in the cultural center of the city of Athens. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? What is this literal seed picker? And the view was this, that there are individuals who spent all of their time going around like chickens, picking up bugs and grain and that all over the place, that there were guys, philosophers, who would just simply make their way around, picking up the latest idea and spouting off what it is that they thought they knew. And so they lumped Paul into this particular category. Not very complimentary, would you agree? What's this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Again, context. The court of the Areopagus was a long-established body with extensive authority in Athens over civil and religious life. They exercised jurisdiction. It was like bringing Paul before the city fathers who had control of all things moral and legal in the city. They said to him, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? Because you say, what you say sounds strange to us. And we want to know what things, what these things mean. So historians would say this, philosophers were always on the lookout for a new philosophy, a new God that they could add to the Parthenon. And they wanted to know, was Paul preaching about a new God that they needed to add to all of their different gods that were all over Athens? And so they were interested in hearing what he had to say. It says in verse 21, 
Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. So what we're going to do is we're going to establish the background today, and I'm going to give you a lot of historical stuff, but we're going to make application to our day and time. Is that good with you? Okay, I need you to follow along with me. So let's just get the context. Paul was in Athens. Athens was the intellectual capital of the world in those days. So think about Harvard and Oxford and Yale and Mizzou and KU. I'm trying to cover I'm trying to cover all the intellectual giants around here. Think about all of those rolled into one, and you would have Athens. It was the center of art. It was the center of athletics. It housed one of the world's largest stadiums for sports, and it was, of course, the original site for the Olympics. When Paul went there, it's estimated the population was about 30,000, not a mega metropolis, but a good-sized city. But the thing about Athens was not only was it an intellectual center and the intellectual capital, it was a religious hub. Paul did what he always did. When he went to a, a new town, what he would do is he would go, first of all, to the people that would be most receptive to him, the people that he had the most in common with. He'd show up at the synagogue because Paul was a Jew who had become a follower of Jesus, and he began to reason with them why Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament promised about a coming deliverer and coming Messiah. So he would go there, and he went to the synagogue. Jews had been worshiping in Athens since about 4 BC, so Paul shows up there. But not only were there Jews there, Paul was overwhelmed by the plethora of idols throughout the city. Idols to Zeus and Athena and Aphrodite and Ares and Hephaestus and Nike, just mystery religions. There was even the, the worship of the Emperor Augustus. Everywhere Paul looked, there was an overwhelming amount of idols, statues to these different gods. And it says in verse 21, Luke is writing about this event that Paul had, and it says that the Athens spent their leisure time telling and hearing some new thing. That was what they did in their leisure time. What's the latest trend? What's the latest idea? What's the latest discovery? It sounds very current, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like our day and time? You're not convinced. All right, how many of you have ever Googled something? You're an Athenian. You've gone down the rabbit hole. Karen and I will be talking about something, and she'll mention a word, and I go, I have no idea what that is, and I'll get out my phone, and I'll Google it, and then I am down a rabbit hole for a long period of time because then I see something else, and then I see something else, and an hour later, I'm Googled out, always looking for something new, the latest trend. This week, I had to buy a new phone. Thank you. God bless you. I went, to, I went to Best Buy and had a very helpful salesperson, but the salesperson tried to convince me to buy the latest model of the iPhone. Which one? Did you know currently iPhones, there are eight different iPhones that are offered, four launched just this year. When it comes to Apple products, do you know what I say? Get thee behind me, Satan. That's what I say. Okay? 
Now, let me give you the theological reason behind this. Okay, there is a theological reason. Have you seen the logo for Apple? Right? Okay, think about it. It is an apple with a bite out of it. What does that remind you of? Original sin. That's what it reminds you of. Satan tempted Eve and Apple with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate the fruit, and what entered the world? Confusion, trouble, turmoil. Satan, bite out of the apple. Stephen Jobs, bite out of the apple. Just saying. Satan, Apple, you know what I'm saying. If you're the owner of an Apple product, we will have exorcisms after the service. We, we will cast the evil spirit of Steve Jobs out of you. Warren Wiersbe said this. He says, the person who chases the new and ignores the old soon discovers that he has no deep roots to nourish his life, and he also discovers that nothing is really new. It's just that our memories are really poor. Because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So what does Paul do? Paul is not introducing anything new at all. Paul is introducing something very old. He is introducing them to the God of the ages, the rock of ages, the ancient of days, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he encountered and carried on a dialogue with groups of religious believers called epic. Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans were basically hedonists. This is what they believed. Life is meant for pleasure, so they avoided competition and they avoided emotional commitments. Stoics were pantheists. They believed that God was in everything, similar to today's Hindus. And the thing that was most important to them was self-control. The most important thing was reason and self-sufficiency and being unmoved by inner feelings or outward circumstances. Do you know what Stoicism does? It fans the flames of pride and teaches people that you do not need God. Stoicism is still alive and well today. Epicureanism is still alive and well today. Epicureans say, enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. Stoics say, endure life. Suck it up, buttercup. And then Paul comes on, he says, no, enter life. Enter life with God through faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul was in Athens, he was deeply disturbed because of all of the idols. And what is an idol? This week, I received a bobblehead of myself. Some folks, when they think of idols, they think of idols as little statues that were all over the place, but the statues, somewhere around 30,000 of them in Athens, a town of 30,000 people, the idols represented a belief system. It represented what people were committed to. And Paul looked and he said, people are placing their hope in things that cannot save them, that cannot truly give them life, and he was disturbed by that. Now, I've never been to Greece, but I've looked at the architecture online, 
And the architecture is just absolutely phenomenal. It's beautiful works of art. But when Paul walked through Athens in his day, he didn't see beautiful works of art. He saw religious systems. He saw vacancy of hope and life. Paul knew that idolatry was basically demonic. And he knew that so many of these Greek gods were simply characters in stories that didn't have the capacity to change anybody's life. So what is an idol today? An idol today is anything you were trusting in more than God to give you life. Tim Keller said, if you want to know the idols of a city, go look at the largest buildings in that city and it will be a pretty good indication of what the city values the most. An idol is anything that you love, you fear, you serve, and you trust more than Almighty God. It is whatever is first place in your life. It is whatever gives your life purpose. When Paul went into Athens, he was not seduced by the idols so that he would give up his faith in Christ. And he wasn't intimidated by them either, thinking, well, Christianity doesn't have anything to offer. He was provoked by them. He was disturbed by them. We could say that idols are anything that people look to that they believe to be ultimate reality. J.P. Moreland, who is a philosopher and a theologian and an author, Christian author, has indicated that one idol in our culture is scientism. Scientism is the view that hard sciences provide the only genuine knowledge of reality. Now, science is good and science is real, and we don't check our brains at the door, and we are not anti-science, but scientism is a whole religious view that says science itself is the only place to find genuine knowledge of reality. What do you do when you see idols in our country and in our culture? What is it that you do? Are you drawn to them and you want to get more of it? Are you repulsed by it and you want to get away from it? What did Paul do? When Paul saw all of the idolatry, he didn't run away. He was like a first responder. He was like a fireman. He was like a policeman. He ran right to it. He engaged it. To say that Paul was deeply disturbed doesn't just mean he was angry or he was moved to grief. Paul looked at the culture and he says, there is tremendous need and there is tremendous opportunity. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of this vacuous idolatry that is going on in these people's hearts. So he engaged in dialogue because he knew he had a better story to tell. And the better story is the true story of the God who created us, the God who sustains us, the God who has come to us in Jesus Christ, the God who treasures us, the God who sacrificed himself for us, the God who died for us, the God who came back to life for us, the God who is in us. That is the better story for a skeptical age. Now, I know some of you listening right now, you're not yet convinced. You are looking for a better story, but you just haven't found it yet. You've tried your philosophy of life, and you have found it not to give you life. 
the things that you've trusted in, maybe yourself or your relationships or your health or your work or this country of ours, the things that you have trusted in somehow have let you down. You've tried living for pleasure, and you've got all the toys to show for it, but those toys don't give you any kind of sustaining, stable life. They leave you empty. You've tried the suck-it-up, buttercup, self-sufficiency. You don't need God, but you have only found yourself to be completely exhausted because you can't just endure. And so maybe today you've come to realize, I need something more. I don't need to give myself to any kind of idol of my own making. I need to give myself to the one true God who will not let me down. And this is what some of you really know to be true. Some of you have been running your life so incredibly hard that you've not stopped long enough to really pause and go, what am I running so hard for? And what am I running so hard from? Some of you have been running very fast, and all a while, along the while, Jesus has been pursuing you. And the way I like to say it, he's just waiting for you to turn around and get caught by his never-ending, unmerited love and grace so that you can have life, and you can have life to the fullest. And so my question is, why would you not trust him today? What do you have to give up? What do you have to lose? Let me tell you what you have to lose by trusting Jesus. You lose guilt. You lose shame. You lose emptiness. You lose aimlessness. You lose just trying to save yourself and what you gain in return for giving yourself totally to God is life with God that is full, that will never end. And I can't think of a reason why in the world you wouldn't want to say yes today. So let me encourage you to do so. Admit your need, believe that Christ is the answer, and then simply call on him in your words. The way these individuals that are getting ready to be baptized have done, each one of them has come to the realization that they need Jesus Christ. They've had nothing to lose other than a life of absence from God, and they are now experiencing the fullness of God, and encourage you to do that. And maybe what needs to happen is you just bow your heads right now, and you pray that kind of prayer, and as soon as the service is over with, you say, I've trusted Jesus Christ, and I want to be baptized. And so what we're going to do after the service is some of you are at the point where you need to step forward and go public with your faith and be baptized. And so we've got shirts and we've got shorts available. If that's you as a teenager or an adult, you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, as soon as the service is over with you, come up to us and talk to us and we'll take care of it today. If you're a child that's ready to take that step, come talk to one of our hosts and they will help set up a time for you to talk with your parents and with one of our leaders. But right now, let's pray together. God, I thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have a better story, a true story, not a story of having to endure life or just to enjoy life without God, but to enter into life with God. And God, my prayer today is that believers would truly believe that Christ is what people are looking for in this skeptical age and that we would be understanding of the culture that we live in and engage the culture where people are and point 
them to Jesus. And God, as we witness baptism today, my prayer is that uh, you would impact our lives with stories of your amazing grace so that we can take our next steps as well. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, and we all said, amen. I was in my bed one night, and I was praying, and I just wanted to follow Jesus that night, so I asked him into my heart. It means um, you follow Jesus your rest of your life. Last year, my teacher in second grade, Miss Lauren, she's one of those teachers, she helped me like teach um, and learn about like, God. Or a friend or a family member of Miss Holly, would you do me a favor and please stand? Friends, I am so incredibly excited to have Holly here with us today. She has said yes to Jesus, and even though this is kind of scary, she has been willing to step forward knowing that this is her best next step. Holly, I have a question for you. Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and do you promise to follow him with the rest of your life? Based on your profession of faith, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your parent in Christ of baptism, raised to live in your life in Christ. I decided to follow Jesus after Sunday school, and my mom helped me guide through it. My mom was washing my hair, and I told her I wanted to do this. I felt something after I accepted him felt a feeling that I've never felt before my Sunday school shepherds really helped me and also my parents why is baptism important to you well I think it's my next step in life and this is mr. Luke and again if you are a friend or family member of him would you please rise Buddy, one of the things I love most about your story is that God can literally meet us anywhere. You were doing something, just an everyday task of having your hair washed, and you felt the tug on your heart to say yes to Jesus. I'm proud of you. And I know that today has been a long time in the coming, because you actually crossed the line of faith a couple of years ago, didn't you? Mm -hmm. But he was nervous to come forward in front of all of you. But today, he stands here proud and unashamed. Luke, I have a question for you. Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and do you promise to follow him with the rest of your life? Yes. Based on your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As an infant, I was baptized in the Catholic Church in my younger years. I attend a lot of Bible classes and went to church every Sunday, but I still was not getting thorough understanding the, the Bible. And then my grandparents helped me find Jesus. They taught us, they tried to guide us, teach us to follow his step and listen to his command. And I could see it in my grandparents, how peaceful they were with each other, family, friends, neighbor, and even strangers. And then my later years, I was filled with hurt feelings and anger. But my, I remember grandparents talked to Jesus. He don't care what mood you're in. Talk to him, pray to him, 
and give thanks. And I did, and, and then I realized he's been with me all this time, but I just didn't feel his presence, but he was there waiting for me. It's like someone's holding you, telling you it's okay. And he gave me a strength and comfort and peace back into my life. My husband and I have been coming to PV for two years now as a family. This year, I attend Bible class. I want to thank Mr. Lee, because he helped me learn and understand the words in the Bible. First thing the Lord wants us to do is be baptized. So we become his follower and be ready for the kingdom, his kingdom. So I am ready and my family's with me, my husband, my two, our two dear friends, Don Louise, my sister-in-law, Anna, and her husband, Phil, and my husband's sister, Francie and Jimmy. Well, just like before, friends, if you know Antonia, you're a friend or a family member, if you want to rise in support of her wherever you're at, Antonia, we are so excited for you and so proud of you for making this important decision. And so we have one question. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior, and do you promise to follow him for the rest of your life? Well, it's because of that profession of faith that it is our privilege to baptize you as our sister in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism. And raised to walk in new life. I was in 2003. I was down on my luck. I uh, wasn't brought up uh, with any religion or anything. And I was just in need of some help. And I uh, started reading the Bible, trying to figure out what this Jesus stuff is about. Uh, got through it all, prayed for the first time, went to church for the first time. And I've had some good pastors, Pastor Lou, uh, Pastor Burns, who have encouraged me in keeping up with my studies and just continue to follow the Lord. Uh, and Pastor Merle here, uh, the first time I came here, his uh, sermon was on the marathon of Christianity. And that got me thinking a lot about my life as a Christian. Uh, I know I always have a friend. He's always there for me. He's always uh, it's like kind of my protector. He's kind of my uh, advocate. He's always there for me uh, with the good and bad, and I know I can lean on him in bad times. The Lord has uh, been with me in this, this journey, and I'm able to um, get baptized as directed in the Bible, and just um, kind of show uh, between me and the Lord, just kind of something between me and him. Victor, it's a great joy for us to uh, be a part of your baptism. Have you received Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins, and do you promise to follow him as the leader of your life? Yes. Based on your confession, it's our privilege and joy to baptize you as our brother. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mary, with Jesus in baptism. Grace and live a new life for him. folks are stepping off the platform. Uh, I'm just going to stay right here. This is nice. <laughs> and let me just say this. If you have been contemplating whether or not you need to go public with your faith, today is a great day to do it. And uh, I'm just going to encourage you, if that's you, 
If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, but you've never borne witness through baptism, why don't you come and let us do that right now? Rest of the congregation, if you want to stand and be dismissed, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. blessed by that message. Our time together goes by so fast. Do us a favor and hop on over to pleasantvalley.org connect and let us know how we can better serve you, how we can be praying for you, and how we can walk alongside you. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you soon.